Section four of Tales of Unrest Chapter four of Corain A Memory This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org Recording by Ju Tales of Unrest by Joseph Conrad Corain A Memory Chapter four this is, imperfectly, what he said. It was after the great trouble that broke the alliance of the four states of Wajo. We fought amongst ourselves, and the Dutch watched from afar till we were weary. Then the smoke of their fireships was seen at the mouth of our rivers, and their great men came in boats full of soldiers to talk to us of protection and peace. We answered with caution and wisdom, for our villages were burnt, our stockades weak, the people weary, and the weapons blunt. They came and went. There had been much talk, but after they went away everything seemed to be as before. Only their ships remained in sight from our coast, and very soon their traders came amongst us under a promise of safety. My brother was a ruler, and one of those who had given the promise. I was young then and had fought in the war, and Patamatara had fought by my side. We had shared hunger, danger, fatigue, and victory. His eyes saw my danger quickly, and twice my arm had preserved his life. It was his destiny. He was my friend, and he was great amongst us, one of those who were near my brother, the ruler. He spoke in council. His courage was great. He was the chief of many villages round the great lake that is in the middle of our country, as the heart is in the middle of a man's body. When his sword was carried into a kampong in advance of his coming, the maidens whispered wonderingly under the fruit trees, the rich men consulted together in the shade, and a feast was made ready with rejoicings and songs. He had the favour of the ruler, and the affection of the poor. He loved war deer-hunts and the charms of women. He was the possessor of jewels, of lucky weapons, and of men's devotion. He was a fierce man, and I had no other friend. I was the chief of a stockade at the mouth of the river, and collected tolls for my brother from the passing boats. One day I saw a Dutch trader go up the river. He went up with three boats, and no toll was demanded from him, because the smoke of Dutch warships stood out from the open sea, and we were too weak to forget treaties. He went up under the promise of safety, and my brother gave him protection. He said he came to trade. He listened to our voices, for we are men who speak openly and without fear. He counted the number of our spears, he examined the trees, the running waters, the grasses of the bank, the slopes of our hills. He went up to Matara's country and obtained permission to build a house. He traded and planted. He despised our joys, our thoughts and our sorrows. His face was red, his hair like flame, and his eyes pale like a river mist. He moved heavily and spoke with a deep voice. He laughed aloud like a fool and knew no courtesy in his speech. He was a big, scornful man, 
who looked into women's faces and put his hand on the shoulders of free men as though he had been a noble-born chief. We bore with him. Time passed. Then Patamatara's sister fled from the kampong and went to live in the Dutchman's house. She was a great and willful lady. I had seen her once, carried high on slave shoulders amongst the people, with uncovered face, and I had heard all men say that her beauty was extreme, silencing the reason and ravishing the heart of the beholders. The people were dismayed. Matara's face was blackened with that disgrace, for she knew she had been promised to another man. Matara went to the Dutchman's house and said, Give her up to die. She is the daughter of chiefs. The white man refused and shut himself up, while his servants kept guard night and day with loaded guns. Matara raged. My brother called a council. But the Dutch ships were near and watched our coast greedily. My brother said, If he dies now, our land will pay for his blood. Leave him alone till we grow stronger and the ships are gone. Matara was wise. He waited and watched. But the white man feared for her life and went away. He left his house, his plantations and his goods. He departed, armed and menacing, and left all for her. She had ravished his heart. From my stockade I saw him put out to sea in a big boat. Matara and I watched him from the fighting platform behind the pointed stakes. He sat cross-legged with his gun in his hands on the roof at the stern of his prow. The barrel of his rifle glinted aslant before his big red face. The broad river was stretched under him, level, smooth, shining like a plain of silver, and his prow, looking very short and black from the shore, glided along the silver plain and over into the blue of the sea. Thrice Matara, standing by my side, called aloud her name with grief and imprecations. He stirred my heart. It leaped three times, and three times with the eyes of my mind I saw in the gloom within the enclosed space of the prow a woman with streaming hair going away from her land and her people. I was angry and sorry. Why? And then I also cried out insults and threats. Matara said, Now they have left our land, their lives are mine. I shall follow and strike, and alone pay the price of blood. A great wind was sweeping towards the setting sun over the empty river. I cried, By your side I will go. He lowered his head in sign of assent. It was his destiny. The sun had set, and the trees swayed their boughs with a great noise above our heads. On the third night, we too left our land together in a trading prow. The sea met us, the sea wide, pathless, and without voice. A sailing prow leaves no track. We went south, the moon was full, and looking up we said to one another, When the next moon shines as this one, we shall return, and they will be dead. It was fifteen years ago. Many moons have grown full and withered, and I have not seen my land since. 
We sailed south, we overtook many prows, we examined the creeks and the bays, we saw the end of our coast, of our island, a steep cape over a disturbed strait, where drift the shadows of shipwrecked prows and drowned men clamour in the night. The wide sea was all around us now. We saw a great mountain burning in the midst of water. We saw thousands of islets scattered like bits of iron, fired from a big gun. We saw a long coast of mountain and lowlands stretching away in sunshine from west to east. It was Java. We said, They are there. Their time is near, and we shall return or die cleansed from dishonour. We landed. Is there anything good in that country? The paths run straight and hard and dusty. Stone campongs full of white faces are surrounded by fertile fields, but every man you meet is a slave. The rulers live under the edge of a foreign sword. We ascended mountains, we traversed valleys, at sunset we entered villages. We asked everyone, have you seen such a white man? Some stared, others laughed, women gave us food, sometimes with fear and respect, as though we had been distracted by the visitation of God. But some did not understand our language, and some cursed us, or yawning, asked with contempt the reason of our quest. Once, as we were going away, an old man called after us, Desist! We went on, concealing our weapons. We stood humbly aside before the horsemen on the road. We bowed low in the courtyards of chiefs, who were no better than slaves. We lost ourselves in the fields, in the jungle, and one night in a tangled forest we came upon a place where crumbling old walls had fallen amongst the trees, and where strange stone idols, carved images of devils with many arms and legs, with snakes twined round their bodies, with twenty heads, and holding a hundred swords, seemed to live and threaten in the light of our campfire. Nothing dismayed us, and on the road, by every fire, in resting places, we always talked of her and of him. Their time was near. We spoke of nothing else. No, not of hunger, thirst, weariness, and faltering hearts. No, we spoke of him and her. Of her. And we thought of them. Of her. Matara brooded by the fire. I sat and thought and thought, till suddenly I could see again the image of a woman, beautiful and young, and great and proud and tender, going away from her land and her people. Matara said, When we find them, we shall kill her first, to cleanse the dishonour. Then the man must die. I would say, It shall be so. It is your vengeance. He stared long at me with his big sunken eyes. We came back to the coast. Our feet were bleeding, our bodies thin. We slept in rags under the shadow of stone enclosures. We prowled, soiled and lean about the gateways of white men's courtyards. Their hairy dogs barked at us, and their servants shouted from afar, Be gone! low-born wretches that keep watch over the streets of stone campongs, asked us who we were. We lied, we cringed, we smiled with hate in our hearts, 
and we kept looking here, looking there for them, for the white man with hair like flame, and for her, for the woman who had broken faith, and therefore must die. We looked. At last in every woman's face I thought I could see hers. We ran swiftly. No, sometimes Matara would whisper, Here is the man. And we waited, crouching. He came near. It was not the man. Those Dutchmen are all alike. We suffered the anguish of deception. In my sleep I saw her face and was both joyful and sorry. Why? I seemed to hear a whisper near me. I turned swiftly. She was not there. And as we trudged wearily from stone city to stone city, I seemed to hear a light footstep near me. A time came when I heard it always, and I was glad. I thought, walking dizzy and weary in sunshine on the hard paths of white men, I thought, she is there with us. Matara was sombre. We were often hungry. We sold the carved sheaths of our creases, the ivory sheaths with golden ferules. We sold the jewelled hilts. But we kept the blades for them, the blades that never touch but kill. We kept the blades for her. Why? She was always by our side. We starved, we begged. We left Java at last. We went west, we went east, we saw many lands, crowds of strange faces, men that live in trees and men who eat their old people. We cut rattans in the forest for a handful of rice and for a living swept the decks of big ships and heard curses heaped upon our heads. We toiled in villages, we wandered upon the seas with the Bajau people who have no country. We fought for pay, we hired ourselves to work for Goram men and were cheated and under the orders of rough white faces we dived for pearls in barren bays, dotted with black rocks, upon a coast of sand and desolation. And everywhere we watched, we listened, we asked. We asked traders, robbers, white men. We heard jeers, mockery, threats, words of wonder and words of contempt. We never knew rest. We never thought of home, for our work was not done. A year passed and then another. I ceased to count the number of nights, of moons, of years. I watched over Matara. He had my last handful of rice. If there was water enough for one, he drank it. I covered him up when he shivered with cold, and when the hot sickness came upon him, I sat sleepless through many nights and fanned his face. He was a fierce man, and my friend, he spoke of her with fury in the daytime, with sorrow in the dark. He remembered her in health, in sickness. I said nothing, but I saw her every day, always. At first I saw only her head, as of a woman walking in the low mist on a river bank. Then she sat by our fire. I saw her, I looked at her, she had tender eyes and a ravishing face. I murmured to her in the night. Matara said sleepily sometimes, To whom are you talking? Who is there? I answered quickly, No one. It was a lie. She never left me. She shared the warmth of our fire. 
She sat on my couch of leaves. She swam on the sea to follow me. I saw her. I tell you I saw her long black hair spread behind her upon the moonlit water as she struck out with bare arms by the side of a swift prow. She was beautiful. She was faithful, and in the silence of foreign countries she spoke to me very low in the language of my people. No one saw her. No one heard her. She was mine only. In daylight she moved with a swaying walk before me upon the weary paths. Her figure was straight and flexible, like the stem of a slender tree. The heels of her feet were round and polished, like shells of eggs. With her round arms she made signs. At night she looked into my face, and she was sad. Her eyes were tender and frightened, her voice soft and pleading. Once I murmured to her, You shall not die, and she smiled. Ever after she smiled. She gave me courage to bear weariness and hardships. Those were times of pain, and she soothed me. We wandered patient in our search. We knew deception, false hopes. We knew captivity, sickness, thirst, misery, despair. Enough. We found them. He cried out the last words and paused. His face was impassive and he kept still like a man in a trance. Hollis sat up quickly and spread his elbows on the table. Jackson made a brusque movement and accidentally touched the guitar. A plaintive resonance filled the cabin with confused vibrations and died out slowly. Then Karain began to speak again. The restrained fierceness of his tone seemed to rise like a voice from outside, like a thing unspoken but heard. It filled the cabin and enveloped in its intense and deadened murmur the motionless figure in the chair. We were on our way to Aceh, where there was war, but the vessel ran on a sandbank, and we had to land in Delhi. We had earned a little money and had bought a gun from some Selangor traders. Only one gun which was fired by the spark of a stone. Matara carried it. We landed. Many white men lived there, planting tobacco on conquered plains, and Matara... But no matter. He saw him. The Dutchman. At last. We crept and watched. Two nights and a day we watched. He had a house a big house in a clearing in the midst of his fields. Flowers and bushes grew around. There were narrow paths of yellow earth between the cut grass and thick hedges to keep people out. The third night we came armed and lay behind a hedge. A heavy dew seemed to soak through our flesh and made our very entrails cold. The grass, the twigs, the leaves covered with drops of water were grey in the moonlight. Matara, curled up in the grass, shivered in his sleep. My teeth rattled in my head so loud that I was afraid the noise would wake up all the land. Afar the watchmen of white men's houses struck wooden clappers and hooted in the darkness, and as every night I saw her by my side. She smiled no more. The fire of anguish burned in my breast, 
and she whispered to me with compassion, with pity, softly as women will. She soothed the pain of my mind. She bent her face over me, the face of a woman who ravishes the hearts and silences the reason of men. She was all mine, and no one could see her, no one of living mankind. Stars shone through her bosom, through her floating hair. I was overcome with regret, with tenderness, with sorrow. Matara slept. Had I slept? Matara was shaking me by the shoulder, and the fire of the sun was drying the grass, the bushes, the leaves. It was day. Shreds of white mist hung between the branches of trees. Was it night or day? I saw nothing again till I heard Matara breathe quickly where he lay, and then outside the house I saw her. I saw them both. They had come out. She sat on a bench under the wall, and twigs laden with flowers crept high above her head, hung over her hair. She had a box on her lap, and gazed into it, counting the increase of her pearls. The Dutchman stood by, looking on. He smiled down at her. His white teeth flashed. The hair on his lip was like two twisted flames. He was big and fat and joyous, and without fear. Matara tipped fresh priming from the hollow of his palm, scraped the flint with his thumbnail, and gave the gun to me. To me. I took it. Oh, fate! He whispered into my ear, lying on his stomach, I shall creep close, and then a mock. Let her die by my hand. You take aim at the fat swine there. Let him see me strike my shame off the face of the earth. And then, you are my friend. Kill with a sure shot. I said nothing. There was no air in my chest. There was no air in the world. Matara had gone suddenly from my side. The grass nodded. Then a bush rustled. She lifted her head. I saw her, the consoler of sleepless nights, of weary days, the companion of troubled years. I saw her. She looked straight at the place where I crouched. She was there, as I had seen her for years, a faithful wanderer by my side. She looked with sad eyes and had smiling lips. She looked at me, smiling lips, had I not promised that she should not die. She was far off, and I felt her near. Her touch caressed me, and her voice murmured, whispered above me, around me, Who shall be thy companion? Who shall console thee if I die? I saw a flowering thicket to the left of her stir a little. Matara was ready. I cried aloud, Return! She leaped up. The box fell. The pearls streamed at her feet. The big Dutchman by her side rolled menacing eyes through the still sunshine. The gun went up to my shoulder. I was kneeling and I was firm, firmer than the trees, the rocks, the mountains. But in front of the steady long barrel, the fields, the house, the earth, the sky, swayed to and fro like shadows in a forest on a windy day. Matara burst out of the thicket. Before him the petals of torn flowers whirled high, as if driven by a tempest. I heard her cry. I saw her spring with open arms in front of the white man. 
She was a woman of my country and of noble blood. They are so. I heard her shriek of anguish and fear, and all stood still. The fields, the house, the earth, the sky stood still, while Matara leapt at her with uplifted arm. I pulled the trigger, saw a spark, heard nothing. The smoke drove back into my face. Then I could see Matara roll over head first and lie with stretched arms at her feet. Ha! Huh. A sure shot. The sunshine fell on my back colder than the running water. A sure shot. I flung the gun after the shot. Those two stood over the dead man as though they had been bewitched by a charm. I shouted at her, Live and remember. Then for a time I stumbled about in a cold darkness. Behind me there were great shouts, the running of many feet. Strange men surrounded me, cried meaningless words into my face, pushed me, dragged me, supported me. I stood before the big Dutchman. He stared as if bereft of his reason. He wanted to know, he talked fast, he spoke of gratitude, he offered me food, shelter, gold, he asked many questions. I laughed in his face. I said, I am a Corinchi traveller from Perak over there, and I know nothing of that dead man. I was passing along the path when I heard a shot, and your senseless people rushed out and dragged me here. He lifted his arms, he wondered, he could not believe, he could not understand, he clamoured in his own tongue. She had her arms clasped round his neck, and over her shoulder stared back at me with wide eyes. I smiled and looked at her, I smiled and waited to hear the sound of her voice. The white man asked her suddenly, Do you know him? I listened, my life was in my ears. She looked at me long, she looked at me with unflinching eyes and said aloud, No, I never saw him before. What? Never before? Had she forgotten already? Was it possible? Forgotten already after so many years? So many years of wandering, of companionship, of trouble, of tender words? Forgotten already? I tore myself out from the hands that held me, and went away without a word. They let me go. I was weary. Did I sleep? I do not know. I remember walking upon a broad path under a clear starlight, and that strange country seemed so big, the rice fields so vast, that, as I looked around, my head swam with the fear of space. Then I saw a forest, joyous starlight was heavy upon me. I turned off the path and entered the forest, which was very sombre and very sad. End of chapter 4 of Corain, A Memory